Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show, and we're talking money and politics. We haven't found John Fund yet. We have all his numbers. Anyway, we got Steve Moore, or at least that's the rumor. (laughs) You got me. All right, buddy. Freedom Works, Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and his show here on WABC, More Money, coming right up after my show. And his latest book is Godzilla, How the Relentless Growth of Government is Devouring Our Economy and Our Freedom. Steve Moore, um, there's a couple things I got for you guys, but one, one of them is I'm very tired of Joe Biden and uh, Chuck Schumer and Hakeem Jeffries and Corrine uh, Jean-Pierre and other Democrats keep saying that the Republicans are going to slash Medicare and Social Security and default on the debt. I'm getting very tired of this big lie. I've spoken this just this week, Steve. I talked to McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy, on the air. I talked mm-hmm. to Steve Scalise on the yep. air. Uh, I talked to Jason Smith, the New Ways and Means right. Chair, on the yep. air. And they're going to do no such thing. What they want to do is cut domestic discre- – well, they'll just cut discretionary spending. Three for one, two for one, whatever it is, they're not talking about the big entitlements. And Biden is like, you know, uh, Joe Stalin or something with the big lie. And I'm getting tired of it. I mean, I think it's it's just it's incredible that he keeps doing this. And my question is, why is he doing it? Well, I suppose we know why. But it's going to hurt him because people want spending cuts right now. Yeah, well, look, a couple of observations about this. First of all, let's start with this idea that there will be a default on the debt. I mean, shame, shame, shame on the president for saying that. I mean, what is he trying to do? Run down the value of our you yeah. know, our debt by by scaring investors that it's not going to be repaid? Um, look, let, let me put it like this. It's very, the chances of not America not repaying its debt because of this debt ceiling fight is – not zero, but it's very, very, very close to zero. Right. <laughs> like 0.001%. I'd never say never, but it's absolutely, um, it's not going to happen. And so for the president to run around the country saying we're going to default on our debt, all that does is, you know, spook investors and it, makes them less likely to want to invest in our, in our country and our debt. Uh, number, that's number one. Number two, number two, um, there will be no cuts to Social Security. Uh, there will be no cuts to Medicare. I don't even actually favor those right now. There's hundreds of billions of dollars that you could cut. Let, here, I'll give you $500 billion right off the bat. We could uh, obviously cancel the IRS, 80,000 new IRS agents. Okay, I just saved you $50 billion right there. We could cancel the Green Energy Slush Fund. Mm-hmm. That's $370 billion right there. We could eliminate the fraud in the Medicaid in the unemployment insurance program and in food stamps, that's another hundred billion. I just saved you five hundred, six hundred billion dollars. Yep. So there's a lot of low food out there to, to uh, pick off, and I don't think many Americans would miss those programs. And I agree. I totally agree. I mean, it's just the, the fear mongering going on here is incredible. And I I think it, uh, John Fund, we're talking about the big lie and fear mongering that Biden keeps saying. Uh, Biden and Jeffries and Schumer and these others 
that the Republicans are going to slash Social Security and Medicare and default on the debt. And the Republicans continue to deny it. And I, and I think at the end of the day, I don't think it helps Biden. I think it make him, makes him look more like a buffoon. It's an old Democratic pap. They've been saying this for decades and decades and decades. And they'll say anything not to cut a nickel out of spending, John. And I just wondered, uh, you know, Steve's come up with a great list of uh, half a trillion dollars right there. I mean, look, it's very commonsensical to say, okay, you want to raise the debt ceiling by a dollar, then cut spending by a dollar or cut spending by two dollars or cut spending by three dollars, something like that, which is what they're going to wind up doing. And it's what John Boehner did with Barack Obama back in 2011. And it worked rather well. And it's satisfied, you know, you didn't cut anything important. And uh, the public wants to see some restraint. So, John, Fun, I guess here's my question. Is Biden making a political mistake by sounding, you know, this big lie sounding like a horse's ass? Only if Republicans are scared enough to react to it. Uh, you know, the reason Democrats do this is it's like burglars going through a neighborhood, Larry. They keep trying every door until they find one that's open. And every time they try the door, if it's open, they say, you know, you're you're throwing seniors off a cliff. Look, the thing that Republicans have to worry about is what I call self-inflicted wounds. And there are two of them that we've seen in the last year or so. One was, unfortunately, Rick Scott, who had a pretty good program for the economy, but he included the, the uh, proviso that everyone should pay some income tax. Mm-hmm. Now, in theory, I'm in favor of that. But trying to explain how you would do that and combat charges that it's basically – you know, raising taxes for half the population is a difficult reach. The second problem they had was this fair tax. The fair tax is never going to happen. We're not going to repeal the 16th Amendment, getting rid of the income tax. That's not going to happen. So discussing the fair tax is a disaster because Democrats can say to seniors and people who are almost seniors, you've been paying income taxes your entire life. Now we're going to get rid of the income tax and we're going to add a 30% sales tax to everything you buy as a senior or retiree. What Talk about being screwed as a citizen. So Republicans have to avoid traps that aren't realistic and ignore the Democrats, you know, boy cried wolf tactics, because people have heard that so often. They're either they either believe it or they don't believe it. There's nobody who's persuadable. Why don't they just say we're going to roll back some of this crazy excess of Democratic spending, which caused nine percent, 10 percent inflation and led us into a recession? Why don't they just say that? By the way, the, the, the numbers came out this past uh, uh, Thursday and Friday. We are heading for a negative economy in the first half of the year. Why don't they just say that? We're, we're going to roll back unnecessary spending in order to get rid of inflation and uh, restore prosperity to the economy. How about that? Well, that's you know what, Larry? The, uh, the, the public actually supports that agenda. You know, our friend Scott Rasmussen just did a poll a few days ago. Now, Scott's a more Republican pollster, so it skews maybe a little bit to the right, but the numbers were really pretty amazing. I think there were something like well over half, like 53, 54% said they would want to see spending cuts and some kind of path to a balanced budget, even if it meant a partial shutdown of the, mm-hmm. of the, um, of the budget, of the, you know, of the federal government. And only like 36% said no to that, which is kind of surprising because half of the, you know, half the voters are Democrats. So uh, I think the public kind of gets what you're saying, that there's something 
severely wrong with what's happening in Washington. And somebody just sent me this chart, and I know you're not a, a debt phobiac, and I'm not either, but when you look at these numbers, it, what it pointed out is it took, you know, 200 and, you know, 20 years to get our, our debt to $7 trillion, and it's taken like 10 years to get it to the next $7, you know, $7 trillion. So, I mean, the amount of, uh, of debt that we're taking on, and, and look, the debt is just symbolic of overspending. I want to make one other quick point, Larry. The, the revenues that came in last year, you know, we've been five years into the Trump tax cuts. Did you know we had an all-time record high in federal tax revenues in the wake of the Trump tax cut and that the rich are paying a higher percentage now than virtually ever before? So this, the other big lie is the rich aren't paying their fair share and we got to raise taxes. Well, that was um, uh, John Fund. Art Laffer got he really got angry because Jared Bernstein went out there at the beginning of the week and on two separate MSNBC shows said that the Trump tax cuts blew a $2 billion hole in the budget deficit and that the bulk of them went to rich people. And so both are lies. Statistically, I mean, Art got the numbers, came on our show, I believe on Monday. He just did it again on the radio and, you know, disproved it. So I'm just saying, I think, look, I think people uh, would like to spend less. They want less inflation and they want more prosperity and they want to keep their taxes down. And these are Republican prosperity, um, you know, stewardship of the economy. So they should take the high ground, John, and talk about growth and prosperity. CBO just came out and said we're going to have another 10 years of one and a half percent growth. You know, there was a time when this country grew at three and a half percent a year. Right. And I think that's the kind of stuff, Gio. Start talking growth. Start talking prosperity. Start talking about how typical families lost $75,000 per family because of the lousy uh, economy of the last two decades. I mean, that's the way to do it, isn't it? If you go to the typical middle class family and say, you know, a lot of things are going up in price, the cost of college tuition, uh, the cost of uh, cars. A lot of things are costing more. But as you pointed out, if we had had historic economic growth rates, mm-hmm. 3%, 3.5%, which is the American average throughout our history, mm-hmm. rather than what we did have, the average family income would be 40% higher. Yes. Imagine what, as a middle-class family, you could do with 40% more. Uh, you know, you can you can send a second kid to college. You can buy a car every two years. You can, uh, re, you know, refinance your house and put put the money into investments. You can you can really live the American dream. One of the reasons we don't have people thinking that the American dream will be there for their children or their grandchildren is the slow economic growth rate that you mentioned. We've got to get back on track to historical averages, and we have proven throughout our history until big government that we can do that. Listen, Steve, I was talking to Steve Scalise. He was a very bright guy, very bright guy. And um, we were talking about workfare and work requirements, which is a very American thing, traditional American thing. And he noted correctly, if you put people back to work, okay, we have generous social welfare benefits, but if you attached a work requirement to them and they went back to work, like they did after the Gingrich-Clinton uh, deal in the mid-90s. Yep. 
here's what you do. You employ more people, right? Uh, even at lower tax rates, they have higher incomes and they pay more revenues. And guess what? They'd be paying more into Social Security and Medicare. You increase the number of people working in this country, then more people pay more into the entitlements. And therefore, the entitlements are rescued the old-fashioned way, by working and growing the economy. Now, how good is that? This is Scalise, just wraps this out, okay? Uh, he didn't know this was coming. And that's exactly the, another thing they should be saying. Go back to work, the dignity of work. And that's a very popular thing. I, I mean, that thing polls extremely well. So I would, you know, there may come a time when you're going to need a blue ribbon bipartisan commission to deal with Social Security again the way Reagan did 50 years ago or whatever it was, 40 years ago. Maybe so. But uh, it seems to me work requirements is a very good way to do it. And what Scalise said is because the Democrats are giving away all these benefits, right, choosing welfare over workfare, that's draining money from the big entitlements. And he was right, Steve Moore. He was exactly right. Well, I mean, you're 100% correct on that. And in fact, I was going to bring that up right before you did that, you know, add to that list of ways we could cut the budget, you know, getting people off of welfare and to work. And by the way, that's 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 like a 90 10 issue. Yes. Right. I mean, 90% right. of Americans are in right. favor of that. Uh, and Clinton, by the way, to his credit, and Clinton on the economy was, was a very good president. Let's remember, yes. we had a balanced budget, we had a surging stock market because we cut the capital gains tax. We did the welfare reform. We did, you know, spending cuts uh, and those kinds of things. He was a free trade guy and all the things that the Democrats are not today. Um, and somebody told me this. I don't remember who it was, um, that when people are working, they're happier and healthier. Oh, yeah, that was Larry Cutler who told me that. But yes. it is so true. I mean, the, the, the data comes keep coming in yes. that – People are happier, healthier. They live longer. They have us. There is dignity in work. Yes. Period. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There you go. As American as cherry pie. As American as the Declaration of Independence. All right, kids. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking to John Fund and Steve Moore. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking to John Fund of National Review and the Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline and the author of Our Broken Elections and Steve Moore of Freedom Works, also the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Uh, and um, he'll be on with his great show called More Money. I'm trying to figure out how to keep my microphone up. Uh, maybe you can help me. Um, and his book, uh, his latest book is called Godzilla. How the relentless growth of government is devouring our economy and our freedom. Gentlemen, I want to talk to you about the latest policy wonk in the presidential race. Now, this is very interesting. Bear with me. I don't know if you get this stuff. Um, Make America great again. These videos and these uh, sends out mailers, emailers and stuff like that. Donald Trump, who, which candidate or expected candidate is pushing Republicans to use the debt ceiling to cut spending? The answer is Donald Trump. Now, there's some cringeworthiness to this, as always there is, but I'll just read it to you real fast. The old crow is at it again. 
Mitch McConnell is a stone-cold crook and a rubber stamp for Democrats. President calls on House Republicans to use the debt ceiling and get it back. And he says McConnell helped them push through $45 billion in Ukrainian aid, the omnibus spending bill, and the infrastructure bill to fuel historic inflation costs. And every American has to pay another $7,500 in living expenses. President Trump is calling on House Republicans to use the debt ceiling to get it all back, take it all back now. So, John Fund, I'll go to you, because you're probably the biggest skeptic here. Here's Trump on policy. I don't hear DeSantis saying this. I don't hear Pence saying this. I don't hear Nikki Haley saying this. I don't hear any of them saying this. Now, I know he has to blast McConnell. He can't help himself. But, <laughs> but still, it's very interesting. And he sent out earlier a pretty good primer on immigration and parental rights and education. He's almost doing this below the surface, but, of course, he's got a very, you know, millions of people on his mailing list. What do you think, John Fund? Hello? I'm here, Larry. All I right. don't know. If Go ahead. Uh... All right. So, Steve, you take it. You, you know, okay. you're involved in the Trump stuff. I mean, yeah. here he is. He's doing policy stuff. And in particular, he's saying use the debt ceiling to cut back on unnecessary spending, which none of the other wannabes are really saying. I love when Donald Trump talks about policy. Yeah. I just love it. Because, yeah. you know, and I was, my line is he was a great president. And when you worked for him and the, the amazing things you did for our economy and our country, uh, Donald Trump was a great president. Not Maybe not quite as great as Reagan, but, to the, mm-hmm. and, but you know, one of the best in the last 60 years. Um, where he gets in trouble is when he goes off and talks about politics and, uh, you know, uh, trash talks and things like that, which you and I don't like. <laughs> he does that. Right. We told him not to do that, remember, right. <laughs> when we saw him last. So uh, good. Good for him. Good for him. You know, look, uh, he is he has the right agenda. He has great people who are helping him out or, uh, you know, a good, good friend, uh, Brooke Rollins, who mm-hmm. runs the American First Policy Institute. So mm-hmm. I love it. But I just want to know I want to say, you know, one of my heroes, I want to say the hero of the week, if I may, is uh, Kim Reynolds, the wow. governor of Iowa, mm-hmm. who passed a massive school choice voucher bill, mm. and uh, she is great. She's a Margaret Thatcher in the Republican Party. So, yes, I love Donald Trump, uh, you know, but I think we got a lot of talent out there in the Republican Party, and they're in the governor's office. They're not in Congress. I'm just saying it's interesting. I want to get back to Kim Reynolds in a second, who I also I yeah. agree is a fabulous governor, but I just think it's interesting that Trump is, uh, is the only one of the presidential wannabes yeah, uh, who's, you know, lending support to using the debt ceiling to cut spending. I mean, that's all. It's just I know he has to do it through Mitch McConnell and stuff like that. And that's the cringeworthy part, which we don't like. But on substance, he's knocking out a whole bunch of policies uh, on education and immigration and now budget spending. And by the way, uh, Trump was a big spender. Right. I mean, I love yeah, the guy, exactly. but his yeah. worst part was he was good on taxes. Yeah. He, was good on regular, yeah. he was never good on, on any good right. on spending. John Fund, are you surprised that Trump is sending out these policy uh, documents there? By the way, they're not only emails, they're videos. Well, it's about time. I'm very glad he's doing it. For the last two years, Trump was living in the past. He was looking backwards at the 2020 election. Look, I wrote a book on all of the irregularities in the 2020 election, so don't get me to defend that. But the American people want someone who's going to address their immediate concerns, their near future concerns, and they want to know, how are you going to make my life better and the life of my family better? 
Trump has finally, after two years, recognized that and is acting on it. I just hope he keeps on that course, because as you know, Larry, he can often be deflected. Well, the other point, though, I'm making is none of the other wannabes are on policy message. including well, their excuse will be they're not running yet and they want to bide their time. And frankly, I understand why they're saying this, Larry, because anyone who raises their head above the, uh, you know, the trench line uh, before the their actual presidential announcement is going to be slammed by Donald Trump. So that's why Donald Trump is out there running. He's the only candidate and no one's going to join him for the next few weeks or months formally. Then the debate begins. Well, all right. But DeSantis, who's done a lot of good things in Florida, mostly social issues, um, you know, no, Larry. He's a bu- look at the budget. Look at education, school choice. Look at all of those things. DeSantis has transformed Florida. So did Jeb Bush, of course. He deserves partial credit, too. Florida is a laboratory of successful conservative governance at the state level. Yeah, but if my con- my problem is DeSantis, I'm not against DeSantis, by the way. Uh, I want to hear him on fiscal issues, and I want to hear him on foreign policy. But he did wade into the RNC thing, and... I- I was quite surprised at that, and that didn't work out for him. Anyway, I give Trump credit. Uh, he's had a lousy post-presidency, but at least he's talking some better issues right now. Anyway, many thanks to Steve Moore, and many thanks to John Fund, and I'm Cudlow, and we will be back next weekend.